You are listening to the podcast of Calvary Church in Irwin, Pennsylvania. For more information, you can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com. Good morning, everyone. It's so great to have you here uh, at Calvary and those watching online or watching in one of the warming shelters across the city of Pittsburgh. We're just blessed to have you joining us. My name is Nick. I'm the lead pastor here at Calvary. And man, we've already had church. Man, this is awesome. Got to worship God together. And what an incredible uh, opportunity through some of those organizations we just heard from. Man, I'm so excited uh, to see what God's doing through our Calvary Cares campaign this year. And uh, next two weeks, we get two more projects that we're gonna be introducing. And then the last Sunday of this month, we'll be having our Calvary Cares Commitment Sunday where we get to commit to give uh, towards those projects. And I love, uh, this is one of the things I love about our church, that we are such a generous church that we give above and beyond. Um, I don't know the last year that we didn't exceed our commitments to our Calvary Cares campaign. Last year, we had $75,000 in projects, and you as a church gave 80000 So, man, I love that, and that money isn't for us. We give it all away, and I, I love about that. That's what God has called us to be generous, to give. And uh, before we jump into uh, to God's word this morning, um, man, I believe God has something special for you, and whether you're here sitting in person, you're watching online, there are no accidents in my books. I believe God has a plan and a purpose and I believe God has you here watching today for a reason. And I don't wanna miss that reason. I don't wanna just like rush through service and let's just get this done so we do our religious thing and check a box. But I believe God has circled this day for a reason. And uh, I wanna make sure that our hearts are ready to hear what he has to say. So if you could just, uh, we kind of start off here. Uh, we're just gonna open in prayer. Open in prayer that God would remove distractions, that God would speak into your life, that today would be a special, pivotal day in your life and those around you. So would you bow your heads with me this morning? God, we just come before you. God, before we, we jump into your word, and I know your word is life-giving, Lord. Your, uh, your scripture is, is breathed on by you, Lord. You inspired it and you directed it and you guided it. And I pray today that your word would accomplish every unique, special purpose that you intended to. God, that you would use these moments that we have together to challenge us, to push us, to stretch us, to help us recognize who you created us to be, that we could ex experience your grace, your mercy, your love, and God, that the people around us could experience your grace, your mercy, and your love. Thank you, God, for all that you're doing. And thank you for giving us this opportunity today to be here, to, to watch online, to maybe be in a warming shelter this morning, to participate in church. God, I thank you, Lord, that you love us and care for us so much that you could, God, create this space and this margin and this opportunity. God, speak to us today in what we're struggling with, what we're facing and what we're dealing with. God, that you would see it. You'd see the pain, the struggle, and God, you'd meet us there. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, now, just a, a little over a month ago, a month and a half ago, uh, the week leading up to Christmas, uh, this past December, there was a winter storm that crossed the nation. And uh, one of the results of this was something that I absolutely love and pray for every year, just being honest, full disclosure, which is a white Christmas. Some of you despise snow, and I am sorry for that. Um, I can't relate to you. I'm not gonna try to show empathy for you. Um, I just love snow. Um, and the week leading up to Christmas was wonderful because we had a white Christmas. I know it wasn't a foot of snow, I would have preferred that, but it was at least enough to cover the grass. I saw white. And uh, that storm was wonderful and magnificent, but for so many across the country, 
This was a disastrous week. Uh, Not necessarily because of the weather, but because of what that storm set in motion. Uh, And for those traveling specifically on Southwest Airlines, I'm sure you heard about this in the news. If you didn't, you probably didn't have the news on. Um, People who were traveling on Southwest Airlines this past Christmas couldn't have imagined a more difficult week. Thousands upon thousands of people will be stranded in airports all across the country, most of them without any luggage. Uh, and, and, and not just for a day, but many of them were stranded for multiple days. Southwest Airlines said that they had to cancel over 16,000 flights uh, between December 21st and December 31st. They lost over $825 million. That is insane. And the ultimate pain and disaster of these cancellations wasn't simply the inconvenienced customers or or even the frustrated employees. It was how those cancellations affected holiday plans. You see, tens of thousands of people missed out on a long-anticipated time and moment and experience and season with family and friends. This was so important, especially because after the last few years, holidays had been so significantly impacted, and and this was their chance to kind of reunite. Now, I won't go into how Southwest handled the situation, which would be a really good lesson in crisis management and leadership if you want to study it, Uh, but the reality is, for everyone all around, it was a rough week. Now, imagine anticipating the chance to finally see family members you maybe haven't seen in two or three years. You book a flight, you travel across the country to finally be reunited with the ones you love only to find yourself spending Christmas with thousands of strangers in an airport without your belongings. And while you're sitting there in your corner of the airport like Tom Hanks in the terminal trying to process how you ended up this place, uh, all you can think about, all you can think about running through your mind are the family members that are back home celebrating Christmas, enjoying their time together, and you're not. You're there, sitting on the airport floor. The one thing you were hoping to experience this year, the one thing you were looking forward to, the one thing that kept you going through work over this course of the entire fall was now ripped out of your hands. This verse in Proverbs kind of sums it up really well. It's found in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12. It says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And there were a lot of people whose hearts were sick Thousands experience the excruciating pain of hope being deferred. I don't know if you've ever been there before. You know, where you hoped for something, anticipated something, only to be robbed of it, only to see your hopes dashed because circumstances shifted that were completely out of your control. Uh, a few years ago, um, we had planned something fun on our family vacation, um, which was to stop at the house of a very close family friend, uh, someone I call my Aunt Polly. She lives just outside of Baltimore, Maryland, where we lived when I was a little kid. She would uh, watch me when I was little, but she was so much more than a babysitter. Um, she still to this day is like family to us. And uh, she had, at this point, had never met my, my oldest daughter, Evie. And so we had planned to, to stay there for a couple days so she could meet Evie and we could spend some time together. And while we were there, our goal was to take Aunt Polly to a Baltimore Orioles game. Since I was little, I was always a big Baltimore Orioles fan, loved Cal Ripken, and uh, this was just such a a fun thing to get to do, because when I was really little, she took me to Orioles games. So everything was worked out. We arrived, we spent some time together, we got some delicious Maryland crab. If you've never had Maryland crab, I don't know where Pastor Dave is, he's from there, he gets it. Uh, It's the best. We enjoyed each other's company. The next day, my oldest son, Zach, and I, and my Aunt Polly, were going to go to the game. 
Um, and we couldn't wait. When we woke up that next morning, though, it was raining. Now, we didn't think anything of it because uh, the game wasn't until the evening, and, you know, that's no, not, a, not a big deal, but it wouldn't stop. And it wasn't just like a common summer rain. Baltimore uh, that day would get over six inches of rain. Um, cars at BWI Airport in Baltimore had water up to their windows and parts. Uh, as you can imagine, the, our plans were completely ruined. We never got to go to the game. It was heartbreaking. It was such a disappointment. Uh, now, that hurt. Uh, that, that moment, not being able to do that, was disappointing. But it was a baseball game. Like, it's just a baseball game. When it's a relationship that doesn't pan out, or, or maybe a job opportunity or a financial investment, or when your hopes for what your child might one day become don't pan out, these become moments where your heart is ripped from your chest and literally aching because hope is deferred. In our world today, one of the biggest problems we are facing as a society is deferred hope. Over the last few years, we have had hopes destroyed, dreams ruined, visions of what we thought might happen completely unravel from family relationships to social justice issues to, to how politics in our nation has played out. We've all experienced the death, not simply of people, but of relationships. There are people in all of our lives that are no longer there, not because they've passed on, but because they've moved on. They walked out on us. They abandoned us. They, they chose greener pastures. Whether it was a surprise, expected, or anticipated, the, the truth is it still hurts. So, so everything was working out uh, uh, in, in our world, and then all of a sudden it came crashing down. Now, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, uh, these have been painful experiences that we've, we've walked through. But as the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, we don't grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. We grieve our losses differently because we have this bigger hope in Jesus, a hope in a God that won't let us down, a God that has promised to never leave us nor forsake us. We serve a God who is Emmanuel, literally God with us. But, but for those without that hope, these are experiences that are incredibly difficult to ever recover from. You can only have so many people burn you until you stop trusting. You stop putting hope in people and relationships. And, and we are living today in a society where the majority of people have stopped hoping. They've stopped believing in people because they're tired of being hurt. They're tired of having their hope be deferred. They're sick of having their heart stomped on by others. And the question in a world like this is, a world without hope, a world where loneliness has reached epidemic levels, in this kind of a world, how could God possibly show his love? Like, like how does God love people who have closed their hearts to ever love again? How does God show his love to a world that has lost hope in each other? It's a, it's a, it's a pretty big conundrum, and, and there are no silver bullets or easy fixes where our world uh, uh, can, find, can find resolution, where, where our world can find itself relationally again. And, and because it's so complicated, it's caused a lot of people to simply distance themselves from others, to wonder if our world can ever have hope in each other again. And, and in fact, at an extreme, the annual suicide rate in the United States has increased 30% from 2000 to 2020 from 10.4 to 13.5 suicides for every 100,000 people. That is horrific. Just from 2020 to 2021, it's increased another 4%. P 
People are desperate for healthy relationships, but many no longer believe healthy relationships or friendships with another human being are even possible. They've given up. That is even an option. And as painful and dim of a picture as this paints, here's the truth. God is still so loving, so compassionate and caring in such difficult moments like these. God's way of caring for and healing our world isn't another you know, media campaign about the benefits we find in each other. It's not the end of social media or digital communication, although you can make a really strong argument that that might help. The solution to the lost hope so many have in each other is ultimately gonna be Jesus through you. And, and here's just a simple thought in our time together this morning I wanna share with you. The beauty of the gospel is seen most clear, clearly through a friend. The beauty of the gospel is seen most clearly through a friend. You see, God wired every human being with this need, this desire, this capacity for relationship. The reason it hurts so badly to not have it is because we were made for relationship. It's woven into the very DNA of our own humanity. Whether you're hyper introverted or super extroverted, we all need each other. And we all have a need for relationships in some form. And, and, and as we're talking about this series throughout the month that we're, we're going through, we've been talking about how God so loves this world. And, 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 and when we talk about how God loves this world, one of the greatest, most impactful ways God shows his love to this world is through the vehicle of relationships. Your friendship with others is an avenue God most often uses to show those you're friends with that he loves them. That, that relationship is the vehicle God uses. As some have said it before, you are literally the hands and feet of Jesus. As author Jeannie Mayo says, you are Jesus with skin on. You are a representation of Jesus in the lives of your friends. God can use you through your relationships, through your friendships that you have to show his love in a more personal, special way than a stranger could ever have. Not, not that you build relationships with others just to show them God's love, but that God's love is shown through your relationships. In other words, just being a good friend can really make all the difference in the world. It's such a big deal. One of the greatest things our world needs isn't a political savior, it's not a better economy, or even a greater level of justice. The biggest thing our world needs right now is simply a friend. That sounds so oversimple, but it's true. In fact, studies have shown that those who report having no close friends at all, like they don't have a close friend, went from just 3% of the population in 1990 to 12% in 2021. That's more than one in 10. More than one, ten, one out of 10 Americans report they have no close friends. They don't have a single one, not even one. What does that mean? That means in this room, there are a lot of people sitting here in this room or watching online. They would be, if they were to be honest, would say, I don't even have a close friend. We can see the huge difference friendships play, not just in our world today, but even if you go back 2,000 years. Why? Because this is part of our human nature. Uh, while things have changed in the world, as human beings, we haven't changed that drastically. If you go all the way back to the first century, we see how relationships played out as Jesus was calling his disciples. And I wanna look specifically at one of those disciples, a man by the name of Matthew. And Matthew was a, a guy that ran with the wrong crowd. 
he wasn't accepted in society. He was Jewish, but he would have often been on the outside looking in within most Jewish circles because he was a Jewish man, but he was employed by uh, the Romans as a Roman tax collector. People like him would often be seen as sellouts. How could he be employed by the Romans, the, the evil Romans? The Romans were merciless in their taxation of the Jews. And Matthew would have been the tip of the spear as the one collecting those taxes. Because of this, Matthew's friends weren't the most respected people in society, but they were still his friends. They may have not been the accepted ones. They may have been outsiders, outcasts, but they were still his friends. And, And there came this moment where Matthew encounters Jesus. Matthew meets Jesus and and, and his life is so radically transformed. It, it wasn't just like a, he met another person. Like Jesus was the son of God, God in the flesh. And, and as, he, as he met him, his life has changed. John would write in John 1 that, that, that we have experienced his glory. Like Matthew experienced the glory of Jesus. And his life was changed forever. But, but he still had these friends that didn't fit the mold and were really seen as outsiders in Jewish society. So, so what does he do? Uh, We see it recorded in Luke's gospel, in Luke chapter five, kind of this moment. Verse 27, here's what it says. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. So this is something Matthew, Levi uh, was a family name, so it's the same person, just a family name. Um, But uh, he's sitting by, by this tax booth and Jesus comes up to him and says, follow me. And Levi got up, left everything and followed him. This is a remarkable moment. You, you, you can experience the, the, the remarkable impact Jesus had on people. The, Jesus walks up to Matthew and says, follow me, and he leaves everything. Now, uh, reality is this probably wasn't the very first time Matthew ever met Jesus. This probably wasn't the very first time Matthew ever experienced Jesus. But God was doing something on his heart and brought him to this point. And Matthew leaves his job, his career as a tax collector, and he follows Jesus. Just crazy amount of sacrifice and surrender in this moment. And so Matthew has this uh, encounter. He would literally change uh, who he was at the core. But it was more than just an experience. It was a transformational moment that would affect everything that followed that moment that Jesus called him. And, and what was his response? He did what any good friend would do. He shared the good that was happening in his life with his friends because he hoped He hoped that they could experience the same good, the same transformation, the same blessing. Like he didn't keep it to himself. He was wanting to share it with them. Now we talk a lot about here at Calvary that we are blessed to be a blessing. Oftentimes we talk about that in the context of our resources, our money. Like God blesses you so that we can be a blessing. You know, we saw one of those opportunities earlier today. Um, But did you know that a healthy relationship and the work of the gospel in your life is something that you've been blessed with that you can share? You've been blessed with a relationship and friendships. You've been blessed to be impacted by the gospel of Jesus. That's something that you've been blessed with that's meant to be shared. You know, when I was uh, in high school, um, I, I helped out with like a Bible club. It was like a, a ministry on my high school campus uh, at the wonderful, prestigious uh, school in this community, in this area, Derry Area High School. <laughs> prestigious. <laughs> you had to... He had, to, he had to pass a bunch of tests just to get in. I mean, I, I, I'm just telling you, it was scary. Having to milk a cow in under 30 seconds is just difficult. Not everyone makes the cut, okay? I made it. 
I graduated. So I'm leading this, I'm, I'm helping lead this ministry on my high school campus. And I remember sitting with my principal. And my principal uh, supposedly went to church and um, he, we're talking about, you know, we're doing sea with the pool. We're gonna gather students around the, the flagpole and pray and students still do that today in September and, and we're gonna do some different activities and outreaches and things to, to really love our, our campus and to reach our campus for Jesus. And, and I'm sharing some of these things and, and he sits back in his chair and he said, you know, Nick, I don't know how you've grown up, but in, in the faith that I've grown up in, how, what I've been taught in church is that your faith is something that's very private and you keep to yourself. And I remember sitting back as like a high school and I was like, where did this guy come from? What is he talking about? And, and, and that was so alarming to me as a high schooler. Um, not, not because, uh, you know, I couldn't believe someone would actually say that. It was because it's something that runs so contrary to what you read in the Gospels. Like if you actually open up your Bible and read Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, the Gospels, which is the story of Jesus. If you read, like literally read what's being uh, recorded, been recorded there and what, what we see, uh, our faith is never something that is that private. I'm not saying you have to beat people over the head with it. Like it's not meant to be a weapon. We shouldn't weaponize the Gospel. But it should be something that just flows out of you. Not flows out of you as you walk up to complete strangers, you know, smack them across the face with a track and say, Jesus loves you. Get up off the ground so that you can experience his love. No, no, no. What you see throughout the Gospels, what you see through the book of Acts and really most of the New Testament is that love of Jesus, the Gospel, flowed through relationship. It didn't just flow through, you know, someone uh, uh, shouting something or or proclaiming something. It flowed through relationship. See, here's the question. What, what if God loved you, radically changed your life, not just to affect your life, but to affect your circle? What if God's, God's work in your life and how he transformed you and how the gospel has changed you, what if it wasn't just about you? What if it was about your circle? What if God radically changed your life so he could affect your circle? This is what happened in Matthew's life. Next verse in verse 29 of Luke 5. It says, Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. And a huge crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. Now, if you read the rest of the verses in Luke 5, you, you come to find out like this wasn't a good move on Jesus' part as far as his popularity goes, uh, with the religious leaders especially. They were horrified. How could Jesus spend time with those people. How could Jesus eat with those people? He's supposed to be a religious man. He's supposed to you know, be a respectable man in society and he's a rabbi and, and he's eating with those people. For Matthew, those people were his people. They weren't those people, those were his people. What did he do? I met this man named Jesus who's the son of God, God in the flesh. He's changed my life. He's transformed my life. Man, I want to share it with my people. How often do we have that kind of an approach? Man, God has done something in my life, like this miracle. God provided this in my life. God, God did this really cool thing in my life. And it might be something as simple as, man, I was running late to work and I got green lights the whole way down Route 30. That never happens. I was only a minute late. It was a miracle. That's so small and insignificant, but it's still a thing. Do you share that with your people? Do you share the good, the goodness of God with those around you, with your circle? Because maybe God's doing something in your life. Maybe he has done something in your life. Not simply for your benefit, 
but for your circle. You know, we can talk a lot about how God has a purpose for your life, and he does. You know, we read in Jeremiah 29, 11, that God has plans to, for, for you. He has plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. But what if God doesn't just have plans for you? What if he has plans for your circle too? Have you ever thought about that? I know the American mentality is I'm gonna figure out what's good for me and you figure out what's good for you and then we're all good. Like you do you and I'll do me and we're all, we're all, we're all, we're all safe, right? Uh, you can, you know, go off the rails and do whatever you want. I'm gonna take care of myself and I'm good. But what if God doesn't see it that way? What if he doesn't see like, hey, you take care of yourself, you take care of yourself and we're all good. What if he's put each of you in your, in your lives, like he's created a circle around you because he wants to use you to help them? that they have a purpose, just like you have a purpose, that your circle has a purpose. See, God works more in circles of people than he does with singular individuals. How, how do I know this? Because Jesus, God in the flesh, this is what he did. He, he didn't just call one person, he called 12, 12 disciples. They were a circle. They became friends. The gospel would go forth, the church would be advanced and established through that circle. Jesus didn't just call one, he could have, but he didn't. It's because he's, he saw the impact that those relationships could have when they worked together to ultimately show God's love to the world. Jesus would even say this in John chapter 13, verse 34. He said, a new command I give you. Now, let me preface this because sometimes we miss this. Um, Jesus was a rabbi. In, in, in the first century context, he was viewed as a rabbi, okay? He wasn't just a, uh, the son of God. Like, we know Jesus is a savior, as, as the Christ, as the Messiah, whatever, whatever term you want to use. But, but in the first century context, in Jewish society, there were rabbis, teachers. It was a very common thing. And, and all the rabbis and teachers had disciples. So, like, Jesus wasn't the only one with disciples. Um, and rabbis oftentimes would have their own bent to the law. Like their own interpretation, like their own, uh, if, you, if you're familiar with studying scripture, there are things called commentaries. And commentaries are, you know, uh, scholars who have researched scripture and they kind of give uh, some nuance to what certain things mean and what it meant in the cultural context. And, and, and rabbis, in a simplified uh, way of explaining this, kind of had their own commentary of, of uh, the Jewish law, of the Torah, of, of the Jewish scriptures. And, and their interpretation was their interpretation. Jesus here is saying, I'm giving you a new command. Now, Jewish leaders, rabbis, Pharisees, Sadducees, they loved laws. They loved roles. They loved following roles. Like it was the pride of all that they did. Jesus here now is introducing something that is pretty radical uh, in a lot of ways. He's saying, I'm giving you a new command. It, it, rather than, you know, all these commands of, you know, don't eat this and don't do that and, and, and you should act this way and you should, you know, uh, respond this way when this happens and all these roles that you can read through the book of Leviticus, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of roles. There are a lot of detail to the law uh, in the Old Testament. Jesus is saying, a new command. I'm giving you a new command. As a rabbi, I'm giving you this new command. Here's the command. Love one another. That's it. Love one another. So simple. Love one another. As I have loved you, he's trying to give explanation to this, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And, and he's trying to communicate, I've modeled this for you. Now you do this to one another. Why is that important? Because the beauty of the gospel is seen most clearly through a friend. 
what he's trying to communicate is, you're gonna see the gospel. People are gonna see the gospel most clearly when it flows through your love for one another. Not, not your love projected to one another, when your love for one another, where there's a, it's a personal thing. It's a loving thing. It's a, man, I'm here for you. I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm standing right here with you. I know you're walking through hell on earth. I know this is a difficult time, but I'm a friend. And a friend means something. In fact, in the book of Proverbs 18, it says that there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That was a foreshadowing of Jesus. Like, how crazy is that? The foreshadowing in Proverbs is literally a friend, a relationship, a friendship. God loves those, God loves those you like and those that like you. Not because you're the center of the gospel, but because you're the primary vehicle of the gospel. With, with just a surface study of, of church history, you'll discover that the gospel of Jesus, the message of God, that God loves this world, a message that God has sacrificed everything for, just so this world could discover and step into its God-given purpose in Jesus. This gospel, over the last 2,000 years, hasn't advanced simply through supernatural encounters with God himself, uh, or, or even supernatural experiences directly. It's always, almost always become uh, uh, this, this movement, this human movement, the most human, the most impacting human movement in human history because it's exponentially multiplied through the vehicle of relationships. Just look at all the different moments in, 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 the church, in church history. Were there supernatural things? Most definitely. Does God still do supernatural? Most definitely. But you know what he does? He does it through people. And it's most impacting when it's through relationships. The church of Jesus Christ still to this day, is the greatest movement of humanity. Why? Because it's done through the vehicle of relationship. Following Jesus is a relational journey. We often experience Jesus first through a relational encounter with a person who is changed by Jesus, which then introduces us to a relationship with Jesus, which we then share with others through our own relationships. Why? Because the beauty of the gospel is seen most clearly through a friend. And today, today I'm, I'm not asking you to go make friends. I'm not gonna, like, kind of my action point as a worship team comes today, my, my action point isn't that, that you just go make friends. Like, uh, I want you to leave church today and go to Giant Eagle or Walmart, find some random stranger, invite them over for the Super Bowl tonight. <laughs> and tell them, we're gonna be friends See how that goes for you, all right? You, you might encounter uh, a wonderful man by the name of Officer Rizzo uh, somewhere in the future there. Um, I'm not saying do that. Because here's the deal. Like, you can't just say, go make friends. That would be like saying, you know, go make a million dollars. You don't just do that. It's something you have to work at, cultivate, and develop. It takes time. Instead, here's the question I have for you today. Is God's love an active part of your relationships today? Is God's love an active part of your relationships today? You know, we can read all the self-help books that provide six things you need for a healthy relationship or the eight things you need to do to be a good friend. 
What all those books or blog posts or podcasts are getting at is that there are certain ingredients that make for a good relationship or help you become a good friend. And what I'm asking today isn't, uh, isn't are, are you a good friend, but, but rather, is the gospel one of the ingredients at work in your current circle of friends? Is the gospel an ingredient in that circle? Not that you preach at your friends all the time, but is the unconditional, unmistakable, recognizable love of God being shown through your life to your friends? See, for God so loved the world that he gave. He gave you friends and he gave your friends you. How are the values, the ethic, the love of Jesus, how are those things being reflected through your life to your friends? So I'm not asking you to go make friends. I'm asking you, is Jesus and is the gospel part of those relationships? And I know you might be saying, Nick, Nick, I have church friends, I have work friends, I have like, you know, friends, my kids' activities or sporting events or whatever they do. I, I've, I've got like these different groups of friends. That, that's cool. Jesus didn't compartmentalize. Like a friend is a friend. It doesn't matter where that friend is. Is the gospel at work in your circles? Is the gospel present? Like I said, that doesn't mean you're beating people over the head with the Bible. It means is the love of Jesus flowing through relationships? Is it flowing with, is it evident in how you respond to pain and how you react to disappointment and how you get back up when you've messed up and how you deal with the ups and downs of life? Because the beauty of the gospel is seen most clearly through a friend. For some of you today, you fall into that, that, that one out of 10 Americans, you don't have a close friend. And you're like, man, Nick, I, I wanna do that, but I'm not sure who to do that with. I'm not sure how to express that. Maybe this is your first time here. Maybe you've been coming here and you're like, uh, there's something here that draws me, but I don't know, I can't put my finger on it. Can, can I define that a little bit for you? Proverbs 18, I said it earlier. There's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. I have lived it out in my own life. Jesus is this one that never forsakes us. Like he's there. When I was sitting in uh, a dorm room in Springfield, Missouri, uh, so far away from home, didn't know anyone, didn't wanna know anyone, just wanted to go home, like he was there. When I'm sitting in a hospital room after my dad passes away and I don't wanna talk to anyone, I don't wanna see anyone, I don't wanna, I don't, I don't wanna be around anyone, he was there. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Maybe for you, the first step to allowing the gospel to be part of your relationships is to have a relationship with the gospel. Maybe for you, the first step is to say, you know what, I, I don't know if I'm a religious person, but I think I need Jesus in my life. Can I tell you, Jesus was the least religious person you'll ever meet. He, he wasn't trying to start a religion or, 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 or perpetuate religion. You've maybe heard this before, but it's not about religion. It's, it's really about a relationship with your creator that Jesus made possible. Because we've all messed up, we've all screwed up, and, and sometimes those, those mess-ups, those mistakes, the Bible calls sin, has separated us from God. And it's almost impossible, it is impossible, to be in relationship with a perfect holy God 
But Jesus, but Jesus, he loved you so much. He wants so much to be in relationship with you that he came and he died on the cross, not to start a religion, not to give us something to do on Sundays or Christmas or Easter. He did that so he could restore not your religious practice, not restore you know, uh, your ability to, to do religious things. He came and died upon the cross and rose again three days later. In the end, we read in, in a lot of Paul's writings, Colossians, that it was to reconcile or to, to, to fix, to correct that relationship. It was that important. That relationship was that important. And, and maybe you're here today or maybe you're watching online. You're like, man, Nick, I don't have a relationship with my creator. I don't have a relationship with Jesus. What does that even mean? It, it means being willing to accept his forgiveness of your past, of your mistakes, the things you can't forgive yourself of, things you've done or the things that have kept you from him that you're willing to say, Jesus, I, I, this doesn't make sense, but I'm gonna accept your forgiveness. And the Bible calls it your, his, his grace, his grace that's sufficient, that he covers our sin, our mistakes. And he says, I am more than enough. I know you might sometimes feel like you fall short, but when we fall short, that's when he is more than enough. Paul even writes that when we are weak, he is strong. So before we, we, we close out here this morning, I wanna pray. And if you're here and you'd say, Nick, I've never started that relationship with God. I didn't even know that was possible. Like, I'm just surprised this place didn't fall apart and cave in on me and, you know, catch on fire when I walk through the doors. Can I tell you, that's never gonna happen because God loves you so very, very much, more than I could even communicate. And he would never let something like that happen because he wants you to know that he loves you and he cares about you. And he brought you here this morning for that reason. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? God, I thank you for today and I thank you for what you're doing in this place. God, for what you're doing in the hearts of men and women who are watching online or in one of the warming shelters, those that might be sitting here right now. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do what I can't. God, that you would remind them how much you love them, how, how incredibly fascinated you are with the hearts and lives of those watching, those sitting here today. As you're continuing to pray this morning, if you're here and you'd say, Nick, I've never, I've never taken that step to experience his forgiveness or be in relationship with God. I'm not even sure what that means. We wanna help you with that. The first step is to say, you know what? I need Jesus in my life. I, 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 I need his forgiveness. I, I need him to put me on a path toward his purpose, not my purpose. I've chased my purpose long enough. If that's you this morning, in a minute, I'm just gonna count to three. As I count to three, I'm gonna ask you just to reach your hand toward heaven. It's not some magic thing you do. It's just an act of your will to say, God, that's me. God, I want, I want that in my life. God, I accept your forgiveness. God, I wanna begin a, a journey of relationship with my creator, with, with Jesus, that today is a new day. Not to be a religious person, but to be a forgiven person. To be a person that is in relationship with a God that has promised to never leave me or forsake me. If that's you this morning, I'm gonna ask you to reach your hand toward heaven on the count of three. One, two, three. Amen. Anyone else this morning? Amen. Anybody else? You can put your hands down. And I'm gonna ask everyone to pray this prayer with me. Whether you raised your hand or not, prayer is just a conversation with God. That's all I wanna do. I'm gonna lead you in this prayer. So I'm gonna ask you to pray this prayer with me. And my hope is that this is the first of many conversations you have with God where, where you share like the stuff in your life, the junk that you're walking through, the things that you're facing, that you're willing to open up with him. That's what a friend does. Would you all pray this prayer with me together? Dear God, thank you for loving me.
Thank you for not forsaking me. Thank you for seeing me where I sit, walking through the pain with me. Today, I accept your forgiveness of my past. I commit to live for your purposes. Give me the strength and the courage to follow you all the days of my life and to show your love to the world around me. In Jesus' name, amen. This is Pastor Nick Pohl, the lead pastor at Calvary. We're so glad you joined us for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed the message. At Calvary Church, we're passionate about leading people into an overflowing life with Jesus. We would love the opportunity to connect with you on your faith journey and hear what God is doing in your life or join you in prayer for any needs you might have. You can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com or send us an email at info at calvaryirwin.com. On our website, you'll find previous week's messages, a list of upcoming events, as well as resources designed to help you take those next steps on your journey of faith. See you next week, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. 